And it is Jesus that makes today truly glorious. Welcome to the Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church. We are so glad to have you with us this morning. Today, in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 24, we will see that do-it-yourself Christian living is fleshly, helpless, and frustrating. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Romans 7, 15 to 24 are in fact the real report of Paul's life after coming to faith. And these verses are in fact the real, true, blunt report of our lives after we trusted Jesus to be our Savior. And God's Word is so realistic. God's Word doesn't pull any punches Self-reliant, carnal, me-can-do, do-it-yourself Christians live fleshly, up-and-down, inconsistent Christian lives. There's a second thing about trying to live the Christian life by self-effort righteousness, and it's this in your outlines. The second thing is the self-reliant Christian only can muster helpless living. Helpless living. Verses 15 to 17 of Romans 7, please. For that which I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very things that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. The only kind of life you can live without the Holy Spirit living Christ's life through you as a Christian is a helpless life. Here again, this respectable and great Apostle Paul that God the Holy Spirit used to write 60% of the New Testament. In and of himself, he admitted he was utterly and completely helpless to overcome that which was around him, but even more importantly, that which was within him. Why was that? Because when you X out the Holy Spirit as your primary resource, then only his residual inherent resource left was his flesh. When you X out the Holy Spirit to power your Christian living and you just ignore him or grieve him, the only thing you have left to live your Christian life with at that moment is your flesh, and it will betray you because it's only capable, flesh is only capable of responding to the law of sin and death's commands into sinning. We have a traitor that lives inside us. It's our flesh. That's why I said a few sermons back that I know the biggest challenge I have in my life is me because I still have flesh. So when we make the foolish choice of Xing out moment-to-moment reliance on the Holy Spirit to live right before God, our only remaining resource is our flesh, and it is no less of a traitor today as it was for Paul back then. You can't expect the flesh to reform the flesh. It doesn't ever happen, ever. And when we reattach the training wheels to shove the Holy Spirit out of the passenger seat into the passenger seat of your bicycle, it's your flesh which begins to pedal the bike immediately. No delay. You might as well 
be better off asking a horse to talk than to expect your flesh to honor Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, before us in time, and that's why we ourselves right in the real time of this moment feel totally helpless when we're trying to live the victorious Christian life in our own resources, strength, and smarts. We can and we do. And we must feel helpless to overcome evil in and around us when we fail to take the empowerment of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us. It's like chainsawing a log without starting the engine. Exhausting, frustrating, makes you want to quit. To recap, the self-reliant, carnal, Christian, me-can-do, do-it-yourself living of the Christian life is helpless. But there's more. In the third place, the self-reliant Christian life can only experience unable to do good living. I see that in verses 18 to 20. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Sin, singular, the law of sin and death, dwelt in Paul because Paul had flesh. Sin, the power of law and sin and death, because you have flesh, dwells in you. And remember that redeemed flesh is still very much flesh. And redeemed flesh is no less tuned into evil's wavelength than it was before you were saved. It's a traitor within. Redeemed flesh can and will never cure itself. Never. The reason every one of us struggles with the law of sin and death and we struggle with its pull down upon us into the acts of sinning every day is our redeemed flesh is still 100% flesh. We have a traitor within. And all this means, church, that do-it-ourselves sanctification is unconditionally guaranteed to fail. Do-it-yourself sanctification is guaranteed to fail and to put you in a place of total spiritual defeat. And all this means, going back to the child in the high chair in the restaurant, all this means that there will be a gross mess in your life and outside of your life to people who are near to you. Back then, Paul was unable to do what he knew to be right, and he was unable to avoid doing what he knew to be wrong in his flesh without the Holy Spirit controlling him. And similarly, currently you and I are unable to do what we know is the right to do, and we are unable not to do what we know is the wrong to do if we are in our flesh. If the flesh is driving the bicycle of your life instead of the Holy Spirit. And in all cases, our inability has everything to do with failing to live filled and controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our inabilities to live the Christian life with success evidence that our flesh is far inferior a bike rider than is the Holy Spirit. 
your flesh is a far inferior bicycle rider for your life than is the Holy Spirit. You might look at it this way. Living the victorious Christian life without the active ministry of the Holy Spirit is like trying to drive to Lyford Key without an engine in your car. It's like trying to cut wood in the forest without a chainsaw that has no gasoline or no ignition. Yes, me can do Christian living is unable to do the good living. It just is for us and it was for Paul. And so what next? The fourth point about the self-reliant Christian. The self-reliant Christian can only have a lifestyle of frustrated living. You frustrated this morning? Maybe too frustrated to tell your spouse? Too frustrated to tell a pastor? The truth be known, your Christian life is a grind and you're getting tired and frustrated and fed up. feel like quitting. The self-reliant Christian can only have a lifestyle of frustrated living. Verses 21 to 24. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we're going to continue talking about discipleship. And we want to talk about what does it cost a person to follow Christ? The Bible is very clear that when we follow Christ, we must die to ourselves. We must pick up our cross daily and die to ourselves daily with him. And today we want to continue and we want to look at Jesus talking to a crowd again as he talks about what it means to follow him. And Luke chapter 14 verse 25 said that now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I want to stop there for a second because we need to recognize here that there were great crowds, multitudes of people following Jesus. And we know in our own lives, in our own circles, that when we have a big crowd, we want to say something that's going to be encouraging or be a thing that lifts them up. But here Jesus is very cold with the crowd. And he tells them, look, this is what it means to follow me. And he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You see, we need to make sure that we understand what this word hate here means. It doesn't mean how we consider when we say we hate someone. But yet, what this means is that we love Christ so much more than these individuals that, that it, lo- it is compared to hate. Because we are so in love with Christ that we understand that no matter what, we're going to follow Christ above these different individuals. You see, it talks about a mother, a father, a wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, we need to understand that we need to love Christ so much that every other relationship, when it compares to our relationship with Christ, is no comparison. You see, we need to understand that we must even not like our own life because we have to understand that we have given our life over to Christ. Galatians 2.20 says we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but it is Christ who lives in me. 
You see, we need to recognize that it's not my life anymore when I come to Christ. It is his life. And what is he going to do with it? And how, what am I going to allow him to do? Verse 27 of Luke 14 continues, says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. As you know, we talked about this in the last two sessions that we talked about what it means to carry the cross and how the picture of the cross is death, that we must die to ourselves. We must re- recognize that before we come to Christ, we have to die to ourselves. But we also must understand that what Jesus is trying to say is that we need to make sure that we count the cost of following Christ. You see, this relationship with Jesus Christ is not a relationship that we take lightly and say, well, you know, I'm going to come to Christ for a fire insurance because I don't go to hell, and then I'm going to just do my, live my life the way I want. No. But we must count the cost. We must recognize that this doesn't come without a price. And verse 28 says, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost or see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it at all. The onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. You see, we must recognize that this particular passage is saying is it's telling us this, that we have to count the cause. It's just like when we turn around in our own country, we look around and we see so many different houses that have started, but yet did not finish. And we know there are different circumstances why someone may not be able to finish a house, but before we start a house, we must make sure that we can finish it. Because it's no good if a house has just started and we can't put a roof on it to finish the house or we can't live in a house. It's just sitting there. It's money wasted. And what happens a lot of times is that when we want to go ahead and use that house, we still got to do renovation because we haven't counted the cost. We haven't said we're going to do everything we can to make sure we finish and complete this house. It's the same thing when it comes with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We must count this cost. We must understand that Jesus Christ wants us to know that we are his disciple. We are following after him, and he wants us to follow him with everything that we have. You see, we can't say that I'm going to give you this part of my life. You know what, God? I'm going to give you my Sunday. And I might give you a little prayer meeting during the week, but the rest of this, my life, I want to live the way I want to live. No, that's not what he's saying here. He is saying that we need to understand that we are giving our whole life to him and saying, God, whatever it is you want to do, you do. You see, it's just like us giving Christ a blank piece of paper, sign the bottom and say, Jesus, whatever you want to do with my life, you do it. You see, it's a cost. It's a price. You see, we, are, we have to understand that we cannot go in a food store or anywhere and just say, I want this without paying the price. So why do we think that we can come to Jesus without really sitting down and counting the price and knowing how much it's going to cost? So I want to challenge you this morning, if you listen to this, to recognize that when we consider our relationship with Christ, this relationship compares to no other. Because we should be so in love with Christ that we want to spend as much time with Him as possible and that we continue to pursue Him with everything because we want to be His disciple and give Him everything that we have. This is Pastor Nicholas, and you're listening to You Talk. It's time now for today's personal God story. My name is Vanria Jack, and this is my God story. I was born the youngest of three into the family of Ruth and Ralph Hanna in the little settlement of Foxtown, Abaco. My parents were both teachers on the island and had been making preparations for my mother, who was pregnant with me, 
to come to New Providence the following day so that she could give birth in Nassau. But I decided to come two months early and thus earned the distinction of the only sibling to be delivered by my father. Because I had arrived prematurely and was so tiny, my father held little hope that I would survive. His efforts were on saving my mother, but he often joked in my childhood that when he passed the bottle of alcohol near my nose that I started crying and have been crying ever since. But unlike my earthly birth, which was wrought with surprise, my spiritual birth was celebrated by an all-knowing Heavenly Father. We began attending Calvary Bible Church from when I was about two or three. From way back then, church was, and still is, a major part of my life. For most of my life, before the age of seven, my mother was not well. There were periods of time when she was in and out of hospital. In those days, children were not told much about what was happening when someone was sick. I do recall on many Sundays, my father dropping us to church and going on to the hospital to be with my mother. One Sunday, he was particularly late picking us up from church. He dropped us home and left to go back out but not before leaving a note on the table for us to read. The note informed us that our mother had passed away. He sent my aunt, who was living in a house nearby, to comfort us, obviously too distraught to deal with us himself. When I first received the news, I did not want to believe that my mother was dead, but eventually reality sunk in. In the days following, I was devastated and confused. The thought that my mother could die had never crossed my mind. I always thought she would come out of hospital again like she always did. A sense of sadness gripped my life and it slowly turned into a deep anger at God. How could he allow my mother to die? Why did he take her away from me? Although I continued to attend church, my heart was not in it like before. For a time, I even stopped smiling. I felt differently from my friends who still had mothers to nurture them. I remember our pastor at the time, Pastor Cole and his wife, Catherine, taking an interest in these small children who had just lost their mom. One of the memorable things that Sister Cole did was to take us on an island tour and for a nice lunch, which allowed us to be momentarily distracted from our grief. Facing one of the toughest jobs of his life, my father bravely took on the role of mother and father. He ruled with an iron hand. Hard work was his philosophy of life. After a week of working tirelessly as a school administrator, he would work on Saturdays from sunup to sundown on his many projects, and he expected his children to do the same. My sister, at the young age of 12, took over the running of the house. She cooked, washed, and sewed. My brother and I would assist with the cleaning until Daddy began taking him out to work with him on Saturdays. I recall getting up early to complete chores. Perhaps this is why even now I am usually up way before the sun peeks its head over the horizon. My father continued to ensure that we attended church. We children enjoyed church and its many activities. In fact, 
one could probably find us engaged in church activities every night of the week. This was by our own choice. But in spite of this, I still wrestled with my relationship with God. When I was nine, my father moved me to Nassau Christian Academy, and this was a Christian-based school, and we spent many days in chapel, services, and in classes exploring God's Word. I realized that although I was attending church, I still did not have a personal relationship with God. I was under conviction about this for several weeks. Finally, I came to the realization that I did not want to spend an eternity without Christ. One Friday night, after returning from a church activity, I asked Denise, my sister, who was lying in bed next to me, to lead me in the sinner's prayer. She was more than happy to do this. I had finally accepted Jesus into my heart. Slowly, joy began to return to my life. I learned to trust God as I navigated the teen years and moved into adulthood. He was there as I moved through university, as I married my husband of 24 years, and through the struggles of a difficult pregnancy. God has never left my side. He has made the impossible possible right before my eyes. I can recall one morning in particular many years ago when my family and I were driving on John F. Kennedy Drive near the lake. The engine of the car we were driving made the most horrific sound and then went silent. My husband managed to coast to the side of the road. The lake was on our left and the bushes on our right. We were stranded. At best, it would have been a long walk into town and we had our young daughter with us. To top it all off, we were not owners of a cell phone at that time. I started to pray silently. Would you believe right in the middle of that bush, sitting on a rock in the middle of nowhere, directly opposite of where our car had come to a halt, was a young man from our church. He had been waiting for a ride to take him to work. Guess what he had with him? A cell phone. God had lovingly prepared for us to get through this car crisis in advance by placing this young man directly in our path. I believe that God ordered his steps that day totally with us in mind. He wanted us to know that he is sufficient to take care of all of our needs. But when we go through trials as Christians, sometimes God does not change our circumstances. He does not intervene in the way in which we might desire, but he allows us to draw on his strength and gives us the peace to cope with whatever the trial I find that when I lay my burdens in his hands and I claim the promise of his word, my spirit is able to soar and I feel so free. My father passed away after a lengthy illness. Immediately after his death, I was struck with the awareness that all that he worked so hard for on this earth, he had left behind. He carried nothing with him into eternity. It was the things that he had done for Christ that really mattered. Thank God he was a faithful serving member of Calvary Bible Church for many years. Although I miss both of my parents tremendously, I have peace in the knowledge that I will one day see them again in heaven because fortunately, many years ago, they both surrendered their hearts to their master. I hope and pray, dear friends, that if you have not already accepted Jesus in your heart, that you will one day come to know him in a personal way. Tomorrow is not promised. Do it today.
It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 reads, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The question is, if our sins were judged at the cross, why must believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ? The issue at the judgment seat, Greek bima, of Christ is not the punishment of sin, but the reward of service. After the church is taken to heaven, individual believers will be judged for their works. Each believer's life will be examined with regard to his or her faithfulness as a steward of the abilities and opportunities entrusted to each by God. Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 14 and 15 that faithfulness will be graciously rewarded and unfaithfulness will result in the loss of reward. The judgment seat of Christ should serve as a motivation for godly living and for faithful service for Christ. You have been listening to The Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Due to concerns regarding COVID-19, we will not have a worship service today at our location on Collins Avenue. Instead, we will be streaming our service online this morning at 10.30 a.m. You can gain access to the service at www.calvarybible.org.bs or you can find us at CBC Body on Facebook. Our stream will also be held there. We encourage your comments and you can write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs the Savior. Savior.